I trust you found your place in the book of Psalm, Psalm 78, for the preaching of God's word. I'll be reading from verse number one to verse number eight. Psalm 78. And verse number one. The Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he, has, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as the far, their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for being a great and awesome and mighty God. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for the great salvation that you've afforded to us when you sent your son to this earth to die on Calvary's cross so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray today as your word goes forth that you would use it in a mighty special way to draw men, women, boys, and girls to you. I pray that if there is someone here today who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you will save that lost soul. I pray for every believer, that each and every person, naming the name of Christ, would be challenged to be closer drawn to you. Take full control. Give me the words you'll have me to say. Cleanse me of sin. Empty me of self. And fill me your precious Holy Spirit, that I may preach what thus said the Lord. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and glory. May we take none for ourselves, for you alone are worthy of it. Once again, have your divine way. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, I had a situation where I had to go to the dry cleaners, which is not unusual, to pick up my clothes for, in preparation rather, for church the following day. The dry cleaners was only a few minutes away from the house, but I decided to drive because I had also planned to, once I picked my clothes up, go to the barber and get a haircut as well. 
I got to the dry cleaners and was in there for just a couple of minutes, got my clothes and got back to the car. And lo and behold, I put the key in the ignition and the car just would not start. I was perplexed. I was puzzled because I had just driven there from home with no problem. And all of a sudden, the car wouldn't start. I tried for several minutes. Still, it wouldn't start. I knew based on what was happening that it wasn't the battery. And so I just kept trying and kept trying. I was concerned because... I didn't want to leave the car in the parking lot for fear that it might be towed. Not that I couldn't get back home because I was just a few short minutes walk away from home. And I knew I would have had to call a tow truck, which was going to be expensive if I had to get the car towed back home. Kept trying for several minutes. Then I called my wife and indicated to her what was happening and that I was stuck. She said to me, Pray about it. I'm like, why didn't I think about that before? I prayed about it. Tried again for a few several minutes. Still wouldn't start. Then eventually, it decided to start. I said, praise the Lord. I canceled the trip to the barber immediately. Went straight back home as quickly as I could without breaking any traffic laws. I was so thankful once I pulled back into the driveway. And at that moment, I wasn't Worried or concerned whether the car decided it didn't want to start again. All I knew is I was back home. I reflected on this little situation and came to the conclusion, which I'm sure you would agree with me, that having a car is not enough if it can't take you where you want to go. You can have a car that is the latest make and the finest model, the most expensive brand. It can be shiny, it can be sparkling, it can be brand new. But if it won't start when you put the key in the ignition, it is of little or no use. Amen? Furthermore, you can have a car and you can start it, but if you never take the gear stick and put it in the drive, or put it into a gear where when you press the accelerator, it moves. The car is not serving the purpose for which it was intended. Now, I share this simple illustration with you this morning because for those of us who name the name of Christ, make no mistake about it, if you are born again believer on the authority of God's word, you were saved by faith. Amen? Amen? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you are saved, you, it was mandatory that you demonstrated faith in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, after you are saved, you then are required to exhibit faith to continue your walk with Christ. So, understand and hear with me, 
you had saving faith to get you saved. But even after you're saved, you have a measure of faith that God wants you to develop. God wants you to mature. God wants that faith to grow in a walk with him. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Listen to what Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says. It says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, listen to this, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So hear me. God has given us, as it were, this vehicle. This vehicle that we want to call this morning faith. We have it. It's in our possession. And this vehicle of faith is a vehicle that God has entrusted into our care to allow us to get where God wants us to go in our Christian walk. But oftentimes, sadly, we let that vehicle sit there. We don't use it. We don't activate it. And it doesn't accomplish the purpose of getting us to the destiny that God has for our lives. This morning, I want to preach a message that I've entitled, Faith That Works. Faith That Works. Understand that God wants us to move from where we are to where he wants us to be. Amen? God does not want us to be stationary in our Christian life. God has places for you to go. God has people for you to see. And the faith, faith rather, is the vehicle to get us there. But just having the vehicle is not enough. And I want to draw your attention to a verse in Psalm 78 that helped me. And I believe that this verse can help us this morning as we consider... Having faith that's not at a standstill. Having faith that's working. Faith that allows us to move to the place that God has for us. And this verse is found in verse number 7. I want us to look at it and pay close attention. And we'll focus on this verse this morning. It says that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, you're taking notes. I want you to jot down, first of all, and this is going to be very simple. Listen, this is one of the easiest note-taking messages that I preach, I would preach here. And so I want to encourage you to get some pen and paper and write these things down. Three simple things regarding having faith that's going to work. Faith that's going to get you to that place that God has for you to get. First of all, notice, you have to acquire faith. Now remember, I say you have a measure of it. God does not want it to stay at that level. You're going to have to acquire. Now look at the first part of this verse. Look at what the Bible says. That they might do what? Set their hope in God. Now when it comes to acquiring faith, I want you to notice three things. This has to be, first of all, an intentional act. Now look at what the Bible says, what the word says. It says that they might do what? What's that word? Say nice and loud. 
that they might set their hope in God. Now, to set indicates an intentional action. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. It's not by happenstance. When you set your clock, you make a conscious decision to set it to a time. To align with the correct time. When you set your alarm, you do the same thing. It's better to use an illustration of setting an alarm. People don't set clocks these days, right? Everybody's phone has the automatic time. But when you set your alarm, you do so intentionally. When you set your oven to the right temperature, it, it is not accidental. You are making a conscious decision. My friend, when it comes to acquiring faith, notice that the Bible says that they might set their hope. It has to be an intentional act that you are going to formulate. You're going to develop. You're going to cultivate. You're going to establish a firm faith in Almighty God. It has to be intentional. But I want you to notice as well, it has to be an individual act. Look at the words. It says that they might set what? Their hope. It has to be a personal decision. You must do it for yourself. My friend, no one can set your faith and your hope in God for you but you. You can be encouraged. And notice in the context of verse number 7, the Bible speaks of encouraging others to set their hope in God. Notice that if you look at verse number 5, he was admonishing them as a people uh, to have their testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their what? Children. He's admonishing parents to encourage their children to set their hope in God and that this be a continuous process that the generation to come might what? Know them, even the children which should be born, even for children who have not yet been born, we are to set our hope in God so that those who set their hope in God can pass it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, my friend. So this is by way of encouragement. But when it comes to the reality of who's going to set the hope, listen, you must do it for yourself. It's an individual act. Parents, I want to admonish you. You have the greatest ability to impact your children for the Lord. Live a consistent testimony before them. So that they have a chance to embrace that faith for themselves. Understand very importantly that a poor example hinders those around us who are watching us. And no one has the opportunity to watch us more closely than our children. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't tear down those who are seeking to help them to grow in the Lord. You are hurting and hindering their faith. But when it comes down to the reality, my friend, man, woman, boy, or girl, you must make an individual decision to set your hope in God. It's an individual act. It's an intentional act. But notice very importantly, I describe this. It's an intelligent act. 
Because notice the, the psalmist here didn't say, listen, set your hope in whoever and whoever you decide. It says, set your hope in God. I dare say, my friend, that is a smart decision. It's a wise decision to set your hope in God. As a matter of fact, he's the only one who it is sensible to put your hope and trust in. He deserves to be the object of our faith. Why? Because this God never fails. My friend, he's the God of the universe. You and I must determine who we're going to believe. Who we're going to set our hope in. Who we're going to place our trust in. My friend, it can't be people. People can fail you. My friend, it can't be circumstances. Circumstances change. My friend, it can't be money. Money comes and goes. It can't be a job. You can have it one day and it be gone the next day. Set your hope in God. A God who never changes. A God who never fails. A God who is in charge. And a God who reigns forevermore. So to acquire faith, my friend, it must be an intentional act. It must be an individual act. But it also must be an intelligent act. It must be hope that is set in God. So we see here in this verse that when it comes to having faith that works, you have to first of all acquire some faith. But the second thing I want you to notice, if your faith is going to work, if your faith is going to begin to move, if it's going to allow you to get to the place and the destiny that God has for your life, you have to activate your faith. Now, to activate your faith, think of the, the vehicle. It's like putting the key in the ignition and turning on the engine of that vehicle. Understand, you have the faith. You've acquired it. It's in your possession. But how do you activate it? How do you turn on the engine of your faith? Now, I'm glad you ask. Look at what the Bible says in that same verse, verse number 7. It says, and not forget the works of God. My friend, you can have some faith. But if you want to turn on the engine of your faith, you got to remember what God has done. Amen? You got to remember. You got to activate your mind. You got to turn it on. You got to remember and rehearse some things that God has done. And let me tell you, your faith is going to be activated. I had a teacher who said, and this might not be original with the teacher, and I'm not claiming originality for myself at all either. But he used to say the, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Listen, if your memory is failing, write some things down. By doing so, my friend, you're giving your faith some fuel. You think of a vehicle. When you turn on that ignition, 
When you turn on the engine and it rules to life, understand that the fuel that has been placed in the gas tank is now making its way to the engine and then there's combustion. That engine is activated. My friend, when you recall, when you rehearse, when you remember some things that God has done, when you think of the fact that he saved you, when you think of the fact that he's protected you, when you think of the fact that he's provided for you, listen, when you think of the fact that he's healed you, listen, when you you give it some fuel, God activates your faith. One of the reasons why many people, their faith has gone cold, they've stopped remembering. They've stopped rehearsing. They've somehow forgotten. God has done some great things and somehow it's become old news. Listen, turn on the active memory of your mind and remember what God has done. So if you're going to activate your faith, you got to first of all remember. But the second thing you have to do is to repeat. Now it's one thing to remember, but understand that we are prone to forget. We have within our brain certain sections that are considered short-term memory. Some of you say, Pastor, it looks like most of my brain is short-term memory. It looks like all of it is turning into short-term memory because everything seems to just go in and out. But there are certain portions that are dedicated to short-term memory. But here's how things, just like a computer, that things go from short-term to long-term memory by way of the process of what? Repetition. Teachers use this strategy of repetition to help their students to learn. Am I right, teachers? Teachers have the gift of saying the same thing over and over because they understand that's the only way it's going to work. By the way, pastors have to do the same thing over and over. You come back next week and say, Pastor, you preach the same message as you preach on Sunday. Why? Because I want you to learn it. Because without repetition, it's somehow going to get out of the brain. Listen, my friend, if you're going to activate your mind, you're going to have to repeat some things that God has done. Listen, repeat it. You said, I remembered it last week. Well, remember it again this week. Parents have to have the gift of repetition as well. Telling the children the same thing over and over. That's a tricky one there. I'm not going to get into that one. He said, husbands. And wives tell their husbands over and over as well. But let me tell you, do you know that this process of repetition, it really works? How many of you as parents, children, maybe you're not living on the earth long enough to testify to this. But those of us who are a little older and we're uh, uh, developing some grays, we can recall that there are some things that our parents said to us as children that they have found themselves in the long-term permanent memory because they are stuck in there and we can't get them out. 
some phrases that they said that they might even be long and gone, but their voice is still ringing in, or in your head. I can't say in my head because mine are still right here. Even though they've been gone, why? They use the strategy of what? Repetition. Now, there's a statement my dad used to say when I was younger, and it's stuck in my head. And I'm just using one for illustration. When we would do something that we shouldn't do, or disobey, or didn't listen, or we kind of acting up a little, he would say, listen, if you don't get yourself together, and I have to put my hand on you, you're going to think that the devil has kicked you. <laughs> and I used to wonder to myself, how am I going to compare because I don't know if I didn't even know the devil had a horse. <laughs> and if he kicked what he feels like, but I surely got the message that it wasn't going to be nice. But you might have your phrases about what your parents said, and it has stuck into your mind why we because of repetition, my friend, when it comes to activating your faith, use the strategy of repetition to remember and to recall what God has done. Listen, it could be that he did it. 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Listen, recall it to your mind. It will give some fuel to your faith. You think your faith in God is waning? Start recalling. Start remembering. Listen, think about salvation. Go back to the cross and look at what he did when he hung in space uh, for you and for me. Listen, it will give some fuel, some life to your faith. If your faith is dying, I would dare say that you're probably not recalling and remembering enough. Because God has done some stuff for us. And he's done some stuff for you as well. But here's a third thing that might not be apparent that I want you to realize that it's so important when it comes to activating your faith. You got to remember. You got to rejoice. You got to repeat, rather. And you have to rejoice. You see, my friend, when it comes to rejoicing, it shows appreciation for what God has done. One of the reasons why God is as if he has to do things over and over and over and over and over for us is because we somehow let the great things that God has done, we let them seem as if they have gone old and stale. Listen, when they happened, we were celebrating. Our hands were in the air. We were saying, praise God. You're a great God. Praise God. You're an awesome God. You provided me a raise. You gave me a home. You gave me a car. You gave me a husband. You gave me a wife. You allowed me to go to school. God, you're great. But as time passed on, like, oh, well, God, what have you done for me lately? But you got to rejoice. Rejoice even about that day when God saved you. Rejoice about that. Rejoice as if you did it yesterday. Because he's the same God. And if he did it before, he can do it again. Just recently here on Nevis, we celebrated 50 years of El Comito Willett making the West Indies team. 
And I wasn't alive then. I probably was in the works. But I could only imagine what a tremendous achievement and accomplishment that was at the time. I could imagine that the celebration on the island had to be incredible. Uh, the pride that must have been felt for the first person from the Leeward Islands to be coming from Little Nevis. That, to me, is incredible. Had to have been incredible for the residents and the entire country. To be the first to do something is very special. But you notice, I'm sure, after time elapses, it's very natural for the excitement that existed at that time to wane and to die down as if, oh, well, it's not that much of a big deal. Probably not celebrated as much the way it should be. And it's good that time was spent to recall the significance of that. But I'm just using this as an illustration to tell us, my friend, if we're going to keep our faith activated, we got to rejoice as if it's the first day that God did it. Rejoice, remember, and repeat. But notice finally, I want you to notice when it comes to this matter of having faith that works. Keep in your mind the illustration of the vehicle. Listen, you have this shiny vehicle and it, 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 it is a marvel. You can be proud of what you've seen. You, you put the key in the ignition and you activate it. It roars to life. When you got it in park or in neutral, it's not going anywhere. My friend, when it comes to your faith, it's one thing to acquire faith. It's one thing to activate your faith. But what is going to allow you to take that vehicle and to move you from where you are to where God wants it to be, my friend, you and I, we must act on our faith. If we don't act on our faith, we would be akin to having a vehicle and having it in park and pressing the gas and going, rah, rah, and we're not going anywhere. You and I must act on our faith. Look at what verse number 7 of, verse, of Psalm 78 says. It says the latter phrase, but do what? Keep his commandments. My friends, so we can acquire faith. We can activate the faith. We can remember all the things that God has done. We can repeat and we can rejoice. But until we act on our faith to do what God has said, our faith is not taking us anywhere. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, so then faith commit by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Here's something that is critical for us to understand. That faith is not based on on feelings. Faith is not based on how inspired we were after 
a service. Feelings change, but the word of God abides and endures forever. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 24 and 25. He says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Here's what I want you to understand. That faith is action based on what God has said. So if you decide to go on top of a roof, and God didn't send you up there. And you decide to jump off and say, I believe I can fly. And I believe I can touch the sky. I ain't going no further. I, I, I'm not trying to pretend I define no the words. Right? If God didn't send you there, listen, you're going to end up in the hospital after you hit the ground. Because faith is not based on whether you feel that you can fly or you feel that you can overcome. Faith is a response to what God has said and it is a response of obedience. That's faith. So understand that if you're going to act on your faith, it must be directly linked to what? The Word of God. My friend, the Word of God is our blueprint. The Word of God is our GPS. The Word of God is our guide. The Word of God is our map. It is turn by turn directions for life. My friend, if we ignore the Word of God, we are in trouble. There is nowhere to get to the destination and the destiny that God has for your life outside of the Word of God. So here's what you and I must do if we're going to act on our faith. We got to open the Word of God. Listen, too many Bibles are closed. Too many Bibles have cobwebs. Too many Bibles are collecting dust. My friend, with all of the distractions of social media, the entertainment industry, there's been an alarming abandonment of consistent and dedicated time spent in the Word of God. It's no wonder our world is in a mess. It's no wonder churches are in chaos. And this has developed a shocking ignorance of what the Bible says. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may what? Grow thereby. Job 23.12, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There has to be a desire to get into God's word. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. My friend, man, woman, boy, or girl, 
You cannot abandon the word of God and have success. You cannot abandon the word of God and say you have faith. How can you have faith if you don't even know what you're supposed to be doing? Faith is a response to the word of God. So open the word of God. Then observe the word of God. What do I mean? When you open the word of God and you pay attention to the pages of scripture, don't just let it go in one ear and out the next. Observe it. Absorb it. Pay attention to the context. Learn it. Don't be an ignorant Christian. An ignorant Christian is a Christian who finds himself on the, uh, on the minefields of life. Why? We're without direction. So you've got to open the word of God. You've got to observe the word of God. And then, of course, I've alluded to it. You must. It's indispensable. There's no two ways around it. You must, must, must obey the word of God. The final phrase in verse number 7 says, But keep his commandments. My friend, we must be willing to do what God says. To follow his commands. Even when it's hard. Even when it's not convenient. Even when people don't like it. Even when I'm going to face criticism, even when I'm attacked, even when I'm misunderstood. Why? Because this is our instruction for living. It's our guide. It is what allows us to, to navigate the, 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 the cliffs and the, 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 the pitfalls. And it ultimately is what allows you and me to get to the place of blessing that God has for our life. To accomplish the destiny that God has for you. You know, the one thing that I love about God and I love about his character and his mercy and his grace upon us, that we often speak of this analogy of getting to a destination and ultimately, that's like the ultimate place. But here's what's so great about God. As we are obedient to him, and we are following his GPS, turn by turn, he's just showing blessings along the way. He's just letting us see bigger and better things. He's, he, he, he's growing our faith, and he's helping us to, to, to be more exposed to, to all that he has for us along the way. And so I trust this morning that you and I would be challenged to have faith that works. There's, of course, a beautiful parallel passage that was read during our scripture reading in James chapter 2. That faith without works is what? Dead. You know what James was saying? That you got this car. You got this beautiful car, this wonderful model making. Capable of amazing things. And you're like a Christian. You're even remembering what God has done. 
and you're putting the key in the ignition, and you're turning it on, you're roaring it to life. But guess what? You're still stuck in park. You might even be there pressing the gas in neutral, and you're not going to where he wants to go. So as a result, the faith has become useless. It's not moving you. It's not propelling you to where God wants you to go. So faith without works, faith without obedience, faith without action in response to what God said, useless. So I trust this morning that each and every one of us, whether you're saved or not, faith is a requirement. If you're here today and you're not born again, you're not saved, guess what? You must demonstrate and exhibit saving faith, believing that God loves me. God sent his son to die on Calvary's cross. I must trust in that. I must obey his word. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I must respond in obedience to that. And I receive the blessing of salvation. If you're born again, God doesn't want your faith to just stay there. You had some faith to be saved, sure. But he wants that faith to mature. He wants that faith to grow. Why? Because God has places for you to go. God has people for you to see. God has things for you to do. But you can't be stuck in park. You can't be stuck in neutral. You have to respond in obedience and get that accelerator and press it to the floor and demonstrate that you have some faith, faith that works.